Well, this morning, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10, the hopelessness of idolatry is what we're going to be talking about this morning. The hopelessness of idolatry. You know, initially as I read through this text of Scripture, my mind went back to my time in India. Um, As I walked and I drove up and down the roads, I saw idol after idol after idol. And uh, if you've ever done any type of traveling in some of the other countries, you've seen some of that. Uh, But especially in India, there are so many gods, so many idols. Uh, They were on pedestals on the sides of roads, and they're enshrined uh, in little places in walls, and they're painted on top of walls. You walk into little storefronts, they're on the countertops. They're uh, in frames on the walls of both gods, their idols, and different gurus that they're uh, in support of or following. And uh, in some places, they're even tattooed on their bodies, you know, the, the pictures of their gods and so forth. And uh, so my mind immediately went back as I'm reading through Jeremiah chapter 10, and my mind goes back to just the, the plethora of gods that were everywhere uh, as I was walking through um, different parts of India and driving through different parts of India. And uh, I'm often told that it's not much different in other parts of the country, in other, part, in other countries, like several countries of Africa, you'd see something very similar um, in parts of New Zealand and Haiti, though I've never been there. Uh, they say that's quite often the similar situations there. And, uh, but my mind is going back to all the different gods. And of course, they have over, they say over 50 million gods. There's a god in everything. I mean, there's a God in the chair, there's a God in the wall, there's a God in the light, there's a God in the speaker, there's a God, there's gods everywhere, and they worship them, and they follow them, and they bow down to them, and they give to them, and they support them, and uh, they, they feel like these gods are there for them, even though they're not. And uh, you say, well, what does that have to do with us here in America? Well, I believe that idolatry is here as well, and I believe that we have idols all around us as well, as we'll talk about in just a moment. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've said for years, I've kind of come up with this definition of what an idol is. And by definition, anything that we give more time and attention to than God has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. Let me say it one more time. Anything that we give more time and attention to than God has the potential of being an idol in our life. And one thing we need to realize is that wherever idolatry is seen or practiced, it has the same result. Hopelessness. Because idolatry will do nothing for you other than take your focus off God where it should be and onto things or people who will do nothing for you but rob you of your time, your energy, and your peace. Because it's false. It's not real. And so we need to realize that even here in America, if we put our focus, our time, our attention on anything that is becoming an idol in our life, it will lead you to that hopelessness in the long run. So our hope must be in God, our Heavenly Father. And if we could learn to completely trust Him, if every one of us sitting here in this room this morning could learn to keep our attention and our time and our focus on God, we would begin to see true peace. We would begin to see contentment. We would be able to see that God is in our everyday life when we begin to trust Him and put our focus on Him to do what only God can do we would have a greater sense of peace and contentment if we would get rid of the idolatry that is sometimes in our lives. And it creeps in so subtly. And so we're going to talk about that just for a moment. But before we do, I want, to, I want you to look at verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to start this morning. We're going to be jumping around just a little bit later. 
But uh, at least start off in Jeremiah chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. It says, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, and the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers, so that it would not topple. They are upright like palm trees, and they cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might, who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. The work of the craftsman and the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will be able to endure His indignation. Lord, as we come before You this morning, Lord, we ask that You would speak to our hearts. I ask God that You would help us to be honest with ourselves concerning, Lord, our walk with You and Lord, what things might be potentially becoming idols or our idols in our lives. And God, might we be honest about it and Lord, deal with them today. So, Lord, that we are focusing on You, the only true and living God. And, Lord, I pray that You would, Lord, in every one of our hearts, Lord, draw us closer to You. And uh, might we see how great and powerful and awesome You are as a result of Your Word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to look at several things this morning from this text. I want you, first of all, to see the command that He is giving. I want us to see the characteristics of the God, and then the, or the idols, and then the characteristics of the one true God. So first of all, the command, and we see this right away in verses 1 and 2. It says, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. But he says, do not learn the way of the Gentile. In some of your Bible translations, it may transfer or substitute the word Gentile for heathen. Why do you do that? Or why do they do that, you might ask? Well, first of all, he's saying, he does not want us to learn that. We're going to come back to that just for a moment. But directly, Jeremiah was speaking to Israel. But I believe that the application is just as true for you and I today where we sit here in America. We have idols all around us, and the idols are put forth by unsaved people and even saved people who want us to get our focus off God and onto the things that are around us. And he says, do not learn the way of the Gentile or the heathen. So what was the problem with the Gentiles? What was the problem with the heathens? They were unsaved. They weren't following God. And let me just say this just for a moment. There is a world around us that wants us to learn from them. And folks, if we don't funnel what we are learning through the principles found in God's Word, we will be led astray. And so this is what we need to be spending our time and energy and focus on, and that's God's Word. The world around us wants us to just accept everything that's going on, everything that they say as fact. And if we don't funnel it through the Word of God, you are going to be led astray. And God's Word says very clearly, as it was true for the nation of Israel back then, do not learn the way of the unsaved, learn the way of God. And the only way we can do that is by getting in God's Word, by applying it, by studying it, by becoming students of it. And you know, that's not just for pastors and preachers and teachers. It's for every one of us as God's children. 
So I would ask you this question. What is it that you are learning from God's Word? It's kind of amazing that every once in a while I'll say on a Sunday night when we had Sunday night services or when we have men's Bible study, what is God teaching you from His Word right now? Tell me one thing that God has showed you. And we have to go back in our minds even a year or two years or three years or something we learned a long time ago and give testimony of something. What is God teaching you right now? Because right now you are a student of God's Word. We're busy learning everything that's going on in the world around us, but are we learning from God's Word? He says, do not learn the way of the heathen. Why? Because they're unsaved, idolatrous people. That's not who we're to be studying. That's not the, 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 the content of what should be occupying our minds. We're not to be learning from the people in this world that we live in more than we are learning from God and His Word. So, he says, do not learn the way of the Gentile. Then he said, secondly, do not be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. What is he referring to? Well, the Gentile, the unsaved heathens here, they would look at the gods of, or, or the, the atmosphere and the, the, the galaxies and, and all the heavens that were out there, the sun, the moon, the stars, and they would get their wisdom as they thought they were getting from them as to how they would go about their days. I'm so thankful, folks. I am so thankful I don't have to go out and look at the stars before I go to bed at night to figure out what I'm going to do next. I don't have to get up in the morning and say, well, I wonder what's going to happen today. Look at the heavens and see what's going to go, or a noonday, or anything else. We have God's Word as an anchor. We have the Word of God to guide us and direct us. What does His Word tell us? Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And what's that mean? It means it's going to guide us. Every time we need direction, every time we need to know where to go, where to step, God's Word is there by principle and in Word to teach us what to do next. If we would but submit to it. If we would put our hearts and our minds into this book, it will guide us in every aspect of life, including the culture and the days in which we are living right now. God's Word has the answers if we'll study it, if we'll apply it. So he says, do not be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. The Gentiles worship everything up there. And uh, by the way, that's what horoscopes are. That's what... Terror, you know, the tarot cards and all that junk, it's, false, it's putting your trust in something that is false. Something that's not real. And it's going to lead you down the wrong path. As God's children, we have the Word of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not lean not into what? Your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. If we want to know how to go about our days... If we want to know how to make decisions, we get in God's Word. So once again, just be reminded, as Jeremiah was pleading with the nation of Israel, do not learn the way of the heathen. Let's not look to the world for our guidance. Let's not look to the world for our direction. Let's look to God's Word. And He promises that He will guide and direct us if we'll just do that. Let's put, and then he says, don't put your place confidence in these rituals. They're futile. And we see that again in Jeremiah chapter 10. Uh, verse 3 says, For the customs of the people are futile. If you learn the customs of the world, they're not, what does the word futile mean? It means empty, it means vain, it means it's non existent. It's not going to get you anywhere profitable. So he says, These customs that the world wants to promote, and what he was telling the children of Israel, do not follow after them. They're not going to get you where you need to be. Number two, notice the characteristics of the idols, beginning with verse 3. He says in the middle of the verse, For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. 
They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. So let me give you these three quick characteristics of the idols. Number one, that consider the toil involved. I mean, it actually cost them their time and energy, the toil. They had to go out into the, where the trees were in the groves, and they had to cut down, there was sweat, they had to take down the trees. And as they would take down the trees, then they would begin to carve them. And they would chisel away with them and, and, and etch out faces and, and nose and eyes and ears and, and legs and feet. And they would sit there and they would make all these intricate details in, in, in finite places. And, and they would just basically make this thing so it was a god of their making. But it didn't stop there. You know, number two, the treasure of sacrifice. Not only that, did they cut it down and, and work for hours and make these gods that they would then worship and bow down to, they would inlay it with silver and gold and stones. It cost them something. It cost them more than just their time and toil. It cost them their treasure. They were willing to put gold and silver into it. And remember, the custom was futile. It wasn't going to do anything for them. And number three, the truth of their condition, they can't speak. It's not like they could go down and worship and bow down to that idol and have a conversation with it. It wasn't going to hear. It had ears but could not hear. had a mouth but could not speak. They couldn't go anywhere. If they had to go anywhere, it had to be carried somewhere. But they were investing their time into these things. They were investing their time. And it says they can't do good, but they can't do evil either. They're worthless. They have no ability to do anything good for you in your life. Everything that I read here in Scripture is exactly what I saw in parts of India and other parts of Africa. I mean, they would put time into this. The paintings that were on the side of big walls, the color and the intricate design, the, the hours of, and the money that it would cost for the paint and the supplies, over and over. And let me just say this, as you're walking down some of the streets and driving down some of the streets in India, you see these pedestals. And they're just conveniently placed at the, just the right height. They're about yay tall, just a cement pedestal with an encased god, or a shrine of an encased god, with a little slot on the top of it. You know what the slot was for? Yeah, so people could walk by and put their little cha-chings in. Somebody was getting rich off it. And people would come by and, oh, there's a god. I want the favor of that god, so I'll put some rupees in there. They go down the road just in other ways, and there's another one. Oh, I want the favor of that God. Put another couple of rupees in there. It cost them something and did nothing for them, but made them feel good because they are hopefully going to get some benefit out of worshiping this false idol. It cost them immensely. So there's toil involved. There's a treasure of sacrifice. And the truth of their condition is that it did nothing for them goes on to say in verse 8 of our text that they, the idols, are dull-hearted and foolish. In some of your translations, it may be translated as this. They are vanity. In other words, good for nothing. They're good for nothing. Can you imagine? It's like taking out your wallet, and I think I'm just going to take out a bill, and I'm just going to go, there you go, and just rip it up and throw it away. You say, well, that'd be crazy. Right? But that's exactly what they're doing. Throwing it in a pedestal, enshrined, a god enshrined on a pedestal in a little box, and just making somebody money. I don't know who, but somebody's coming at night, taking what they have put in there and 
refreshing it for the next day, tomorrow. And it's doing nothing for them. And let me just say, what about the gods that you and I have in this world? The gods that you and I see in this world that we live in? You see, none of us have a backyard that we have shrines at. None of us has probably, you know, you know, a little, the, the monkey god, you know, the little monkey with the elephant trunk or anything else that we see so often in pictures. We probably don't have paintings of our gurus in our walls. But what is it that we give more time and attention and energy to than we do God? We're going to come back to that, so I hope you don't dismiss that question in your own mind. Because the idols are dull-hearted and foolish. In other words, they're vanity and good for nothing. But they are the work of skillful men, according to verse 9. And we're going to see that as well in just a moment. Silver is beaten into plates, is brought from Tarshish, and the gold of Euphah is the work of the craftsmen and the hands of the metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. I mean, think about it. Blue and purple especially, that was reserved for royalty. That was reserved for the wealthy. Only the wealthy would have purple. So they would put the best robes, the best color on these idols that they made. It says they are all the work of skillful men. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. If you would, keep your finger there, but turn over to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus in chapter 20. Way back in the beginning, Genesis, Exodus chapter 20. Now I want to read verses 3 through 5 there. Over and over, this is a recurring problem for the Israelites. Taking their focus off God and putting it into idols. Verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. He says, no other gods. And it was a reminder that he had to keep coming back to because it kept taking their focus off of God. I don't know about you, but I think I struggle with that sometimes. Let's just be honest. I think all of us do. We make these commitments to God. We're going to follow you. We're going to serve you. We're going to surrender to you. We're going to commit to you. We're going to obey you. And then our flesh gets in the way and we start doing our own thing. Anybody else ever struggle with that? Liars. I think we all do, don't we? Because things get in the way and we start to give more time and attention and energy and focus to things that really don't matter. Because when it's all said and done, nobody's taking anything with them when they die. In fact, I remember the first time I got on a plane and I flew to Texas to visit my wife and to meet her parents. Uh, she wasn't my wife yet, but I remember getting on the plane in Minneapolis and two rows in front of me there was a guy that was just monstrously big. Big black shirt and white bold letters. He who dies with the most toys still dies. I'll never forget that. Because none of us who are accumulating things in this world that we also give more time and attention and energy to than we do God are going to take any of those things with us when we die. But yet we find ourselves toiling for them. Just like the Israelites were toiling for their false gods. 
We work extra hours. We put in extra time so that we can get that thing that we think is going to make us happy and ultimately takes us away from God. Treasure? Yeah, we sacrifice our income and we sacrifice you know, a chunk of our funds to do this rather than maybe putting them towards where God would have us to put them. And, and yeah, the truth of it, they're fun in the beginning. People say often, when you, people who buy a boat or people who buy an RV, the two best days in their life are the day they get it and the day they sell it. Why? Because it just becomes old hat after a while. But we put our time, our treasure, and our energy into these things. And yes, even more time, attention, and focus than we do God. And it becomes idolatrous in our life. I can remember being in Indianapolis when we were planting a church there. And my kids can verify this, my wife can verify this, but so many people around there in our community had two homes. You say, was that terrible? Well, no. You can do it, bless God. Have fun with that. But most of them had a home, and then they had a second cottage somewhere. And here's the problem. It's not wrong to have the stuff. It's wrong for the stuff to have you. And you know why so many people couldn't come to church on Sunday? Because every Sunday they were at the cottage. They did not have time for God. So common. You say, well, I don't have a second home. I don't have to worry about that one, Pastor. No, but what is it, if you're being honest with yourself, gets a lot of your time, attention, and focus. And ask yourself, is it possible that it's becoming an idol in your life because it's distracting you from doing more for God? Happens all the time. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He says, I am a jealous God. Think about that just for a moment. Guys, those of you that have a wife, I don't know about you, but my wife is awesome. I'm not even prejudiced about it. She just is. She's the best. She kicks tail. I mean, I'm just telling you, she is awesome. I'm just telling you, if some other person was flirting with my wife, I'd be ticked. Let's be honest, guys. Every one of you that has a wife. Women, would you be upset if your husbands were flirting with some other woman? Right. Why? Because one wife, one spouse, one husband is the way God designed it, right? So I'm committed to that one. And I don't have time to deal with anyone else who wants to mess with that. Why do we do that to God? God says, you're my one. I'm your one. Why do, you, why, do you, why do you divide your allegiance, your attention, your focus, your energy to all these other things? I am your portion. We're going to come back to that. God wants to have first place in our lives. So let's be honest. Is there something or someone in our lives that are more important than God? You say, well, maybe not more important, but are we giving more time and energy and focus to than we are God? It has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. And God says in Colossians chapter 1, He says that in all things I might have the what? Preeminence. First place. Does God have first place in our life? You say, well, Pastor, there's so many things I have to do in a given day. I mean, I've got to get, get up in the morning and get dressed, take a shower, I've got to go to work, and I've got all these responsibilities at work, and I've got to come home and make dinner, and I've got to do this and this and this. Right. 
But does God have the priority in all those things? Is God more important than all those things? Because it's really easy to get our focus on too many directions. Is there anything that has the potential of being an idol in our life? Are we willing to put it down? Give God His rightful spot. His rightful place in our lives. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, he says this. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image. For his, mold, for this, his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. That God is going to do nothing for them. That idol is going to do nothing for them in the long run. Only two things that we invest in, we say it often, are the souls of men and the Word of God. Nobody is going to take anything to heaven with them when they die. So what is it that we're investing in? What is it that occupies our time and attention, our focus? Is it God or is it things or people? Notice the characteristics of the one true God. Jeremiah was pleading his heart out with Israel to look to the true and living God because he knew that idols would rob them of their toil, their treasure, and ultimately do nothing for them. So what is the characteristic of the true God? Well, we see that beginning in verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6. Inasmuch as there is none like You, O Lord, You are great and Your name is great in might. Who would not fear You, O King of the nations? For this is Your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like You. Think about this. Just those three verses and the characteristics that we see of God. Number one, there is no one like Him. There is not an idol in this world that can be compared to God Himself. He said, there's none like you. Your name is great in might. He's the most powerful. That's what might means, power. Number seven, who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. He alone is worthy. He is due having our total priority on Him. He says, there's none like Him. Go back to Exodus chapter 15 just for a moment. Genesis, Exodus chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 11 says this. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, small g? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Oh, we could read that entire chapter and just read so much about who God is. But it's come to the realization. There is none like Him. Go over just a few pages to 1 Kings Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First Kings, chapter fifteen, and verse eleven. Oh, I'm sorry, First Kings eight. I have to look at my notes a little better. First Kings chapter eight, and verse twenty-three. It says, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no god in heaven above. Or on earth below, like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. He said, Heaven above, earth below, 
who keeps his covenants, who keeps his promises. He's a promise-keeping God. What he says is so. What he says will take place. He's a covenant-keeping God. In Psalm chapter 86, the entire chapter is awesome. We won't read the whole thing. But so many good things in Psalm chapter 86 that talk about who God is. So Psalm chapter 86, beginning with verse 8. It says, Among the gods, small g, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. We could go on and just talk about who God is and how great He is. And here's the problem in the world that we live in. We get up, we do our thing, and we rarely just take the time to worship God in our day. What do you mean by that? Well, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's just truly be honest for a minute. Not comparing ourselves to anyone else or what anyone else says or does or thinks, but just between you and God, how much time do you spend with Him? Do you take time to read His Word? Well, say, how much do I have to read in a day? I mean, do I have to read two chapters, three chapters? Do I have to read for 30 minutes? Do you spend time with God enough to let Him speak to you? I'm talking maybe it's a few minutes. Maybe it's that first verse you look at. And God just gives you something and you think, Take that with you all day long. But you just read until he speaks to you. Might be a verse, might be three chapters. But do you spend time with God? If you claim to know him, if you claim to have a relationship with him, and we say in every relationship under the sun, the most important aspect of any relationship is communication, right? Good communication in a relationship equals a good relationship. Poor communication equals a poor relationship. If you have a relationship with God, you need to have good relationship to have a good or good communication to have a good relationship. So let's be honest. How much do we communicate with God? In other words, God speaking to us, us speaking to God. Are you letting God speak to you? Ask yourself. Do you spend time in prayer? God's Word says pray without ceasing. And I'm not talking about, well, I, every morning I get up and from 5.57 to 6.04, I got to, no. I'm talking about just throughout the day, talking with God. Asking Him before you make a decision to buy something. Asking Him for wisdom before you respond to somebody's critical spirit or attitude or comments. Talking about to Him about how to make a decision you know, that's important that you have to make it work. Talking to him for wisdom and how to re- respond to your children, your co-worker, whatever. Do we talk with God? But we give time to all these other things. We give time to making sure our clothes are pressed and washed and looking good so when we go out we look good. We take time to run our car through the car wash so it looks good. 
take time to vacuum our house and put things away so that when people come in it looks presentable. We give a lot of time, energy, and focus to a lot of things. But do we equally do it because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He's God. He's jealous. He wants us to spend time with Him. Another one in Isaiah chapter 45. Verses 5 through 13. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you uh, though you have not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. Wait, stop for a minute. Whoa, what's it say here? He says, I create peace and I also create chaos. Isn't that amazing? He's a god of chaos too. So we see a lot of that. Right? He goes, I, the Lord, do all these things. I give peace. I create chaos. But he has a purpose in all that he does. Rain down, you heavens, from above. And let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Isn't that awesome? Over and over. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the, uh, the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, What are you begetting? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretch out the heavens, and all their loss I have commanded. Wow. He's a God who can do whatever He wants. He doesn't need our permission, and He will do whatever pleases Himself. He says, I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct his ways. He shall build my city and, and let my exiles go free. Not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. Why? Because he's God and he can command it. Wow, it just goes on over and over. He's God. So there's none that possesses his greatness. None. So if we were to go back at his who God says He is in Jeremiah chapter 10. The middle of verse 11, or the beginning of verse 11, I'll say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and there shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. So these gods that you're creating, these gods that you're making, these gods that you're toiling over and sacrificing for and putting your treasure in, they'll perish. There'll be nothing left of them. We're just reminded over and over. Verse 13, when he utters his voice, there's a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind out of his treasuries. He's powerful. He's just that powerful. Let's remind ourselves here several things. He's the true God. No other God. He's the living God. Every other God is dead. Small g. 
He's the everlasting God. He's for eternity, not for a time frame. He's a God to be feared. Why? Because He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He's the Creator, not the created. His voice will be heard and obeyed. He's a God of power, and He controls the wind. Isn't that awesome? That's the God we serve. And why we would want to put time and attention and energy and our focus into things that will never do anything for us? He says, don't do that. Notice verse 16. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. He's the maker of all things, and the Lord of hosts is his name. So here's the question. Who are we relying on? Who are we relying on? What are we relying on? So many of us, we build and build and build and build in this life rather than building for the life to come. Let's be honest. Yes, we are to be stewards. We are to be organized. But if we're not careful, the things in this world become the idols. We worship the created versus the creator. And we need to guard against that. I love this in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20. He says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Can you imagine just for a moment being told that? This land? Let's go back to Exodus 3. Don't turn there. But in our minds, let's go back to Exodus 3. And he says, I have heard your cries by reason of your taskmasters, and I know how bad they're treating you. I know how difficult things are for you. I know how much you hate this life. And he says, I want to take you out of that land and bring you to a land that flows with what? Milk and honey. Can you imagine? You have all this inheritance. And he says, but you don't get none. Why? I'm your inheritance. Me. You have everything you need or could ever want in me. What's the problem? We want the stuff. We want the land. We want all the inheritance. And God is saying, you don't need that. You need me. Isn't that awesome? The question is, is God sufficient enough? Is He sufficient? So, here's where I want to draw a little bit of an application for us today. Before I close, I want to address one more thing, I think, from our present circumstances. I mentioned as we got started this morning that I believe we do have idols in our present, present day in which we live. Remember the definition. Take this with you. Anything that we give more time and attention to than God has the potential of being an idol in our life. Let me say it one more time. Anything that we give more time and attention to than God has the potential of being an idol in our life. And God says what? I am to be worshipped. I am a jealous God. Do not have any other gods before me. I am the maker. I am your, your portion. I am sufficient for you. But anything that we give more time and attention to has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. You say, well, what, people, what kinds of things are people making idols 
in our presence. Well, I think this. People give more time and attention to their finances than they do God. All Every day we have, you know, in this pandemic, uh, you think about it, it's been amazing. Uh, most of the people I know that have businesses, that are owners of businesses, it's been a bumper year. Why? Because people can't go out and they're just buying things online. Dr. Jeff Bezos. I mean, the guy's increased his wealth by double because of a pandemic. Wealth is all-consuming for so many people. How much I can get, and how much I can pad my pockets with, and how many things I can enjoy my time with. People give more time and attention to their finances than they do God. Trying to make sure everything works out. Making sure everything is perfect. Making sure everything's going to just go according to plan. People give more time and attention to their hobbies. Well, I mean, I'm not traveling anymore, so now I have this hobby, and I got this new computer, and I got all this, and I'm putting all my time and my energy into these crafts, and this, you know, this is my consuming thought, and it gets more time and attention. I can spend three hours watching a program on TV or movies on TV, and I can't give God 30 minutes. Let's be honest. We're giving more time and attention to the things than we are God, and it has the potential of becoming idols in our life if we're not careful. How about even time? Some of us just truly value our time. Don't bother me. This is my time. I give time to work and my career and my job, but when I come home, don't bother me. This is my time. Don't worry with me. Worry me about anything else. It's my time. Don't bother me with anything. And my time becomes my idol because I want. It's all consuming about how I want to rest and how I want to be comfortable, and how I want to just relax. And it's all about me. And it becomes an idol in our life. Our time becomes an idol. Because that's what we treasure. But stuff. Giving more time and attention to stuff than we're given to God. And that's a fact. I'm in conversations every day where people are elevating doctors masks and the news more than they are God. And those things have a potential of becoming idols in our life. I'm not apart from that. You remember several weeks ago I started praying. I said, Lord, allow my insurance company to cover the trip that I wanted to take to Minnesota to the Mayo Clinic. And they have the world-renowned endocrinologist there and I really want to get there because they're going to help me. I put my eggs in that basket. I'm sitting there thinking about we're going to see a victory. I'm thinking God's going to answer this. He's going to let me go. And all of a sudden I get the letter from the insurance company. They say no. But my heart was on going to Minnesota to go to the Mayo Clinic and get that done. Because my hope was in these doctors. They're different than the doctors here. They're better than the doctors here. They're going to fix what's going on in my life. And that's where I put my time and my energy and my focus. Then the letter comes, nope. Let me just tell you, I went last Thursday and it was awesome. The doctors they sent me to here in Rochester, a different set of doctors, and I was ticked when I went, trust me. I went in there, I had a doctor I didn't want to see, and then two days before they sent me a message on my chart saying, you're going to see, oh no, you're going to see this doctor. So I started doing some research on that doctor so I could get to know who he was and what his credentials were. And then when I walked in, they gave me a third different one. I was ticked. And the lady looks at me, she goes, are you okay? In my mind, I was ripped. Kept changing my doctor three times before I get there. And, and not, not to mention, she looked like she was 14. As do all the kids nowadays, right? 
I'm just telling you, God knew what he was doing. It was perfect. They were awesome. I'm glad I didn't spend the money to go to Minnesota. God knew exactly what he was doing. And by the way, I'm going to see a victory. God gave me that. But sure as I'm standing here, some of you are putting more time and energy and focus into doctors, in masks, and what the news says. You say, am I saying not to wear them? No, I'm not saying to wear them. I'm not saying not to wear them. I'm saying quit putting your confidence here. Quit making this a God in your life. Quit making all your time and attention as to whether or not somebody has this on or not. Your focus needs to be on God in every aspect of life. And this is causing division, and it should not. We need to get our focus on God, not on the things of this world. What's becoming an idol in your life? You think, well, this isn't a crafted people going out in the woods and they're carving their little faces and, and putting gold and silver on it. These things are making people hundreds of thousands of dollars everywhere we look. And they're making them really fancy and decorative. In fact, mine even has my name on in case I forget who I am. Be careful what you elevate as a God. Be careful what you give more time and attention and energy to. Because our complete confidence and our complete devotion and priority needs to be on God. God's been teaching me that. I need these reminders, folks. I've read this passage a thousand times in my life. I've read through the Bible numerous times from cover to cover. I've read this. I've preached on this. And God is still teaching me that I'm not fully following this. Because I get distracted by everything else that's in this world. Good things. I was just joking about this morning. I said, if I were a multi-millionaire and independently wealthy, you couldn't pay me enough money to buy a Lamborghini. Have you ever sat in one of those things? It's like a suction cup. You go in there and go... You're sunk. You ain't getting out of that thing if you're a big boy like me. It's like, I need, I need, I need like a crane to pull me out of that thing. Just give me a truck for the, for the love of God. Just give me a simple truck. Things can get our focus off of God if we're not careful. And if we begin to give it more time and attention and energy than we do God, it has the potential of becoming an idol in our life and it needs to be cut down. God says, I'm a jealous God. He wants our time. He wants our energy. He wants our focus. He deserves it. Do you hear that? He deserves it. He gave you life. He gives you eternal life. Who else has done either one of those things? He alone is worthy. Why are we not giving Him the worth that He deserves? Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory and our honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy glory and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God made you to bring Him pleasure. But we live as though all the pleasure is for us. We're all guilty of it in areas of our life. And we need to get back to the place where if we've committed our life to Him, if we say that we're a child of God and we have a relationship with Him, if we say that we are His followers, then we need to start acting like it. It's simple. Make a commitment to follow and honor the commitment. 
We're living in a world where we are so distracted. Easily distracted. We're probably the most distracted people of anybody. We're all excited about this thing until this one comes along. And that's all cool until this one comes along. Squirrel! It's, it's true of all of us. We need to get back to this. To worshiping the One. Not everything else. Amen? Lord, we come before You this morning and we ask that You would speak to our hearts. I ask God that You would teach us Your Word. That Your Holy Spirit continuously impart Your wisdom to us, Lord. That we may respond in a right attitude and with right actions to do and to be the people that You've called us to do and to be.